never promised that life would be easy, but when we do it together, it becomes much easier. I genuinely believe that we have to be intentional about creating a joyful life. I believe in happy parenting, healthy marriages, long-lasting friendships, and making perfect memories in imperfect homes. But those things require deep, holy heart work. I am passionate when it comes to sharing vulnerably about the things that people are not always comfortable discussing, and I am passionate about sharing practical wisdom that has helped me to help you navigate through life less stressfully and more purposefully. On the Living Easy Podcast, you'll hear honest insight with a biblical foundation to help you become best friends with your spouse again, to love your motherhood so much that you don't need wine or even coffee to get through the day and to find hope in the very real trials and pain that we face moment to moment. I want to challenge you every Monday to live life with purpose, to choose joy and to honor God with all that you do. Are you ready to fight hard for that sweet, abundant life? If so, I would love to do it together. So grab a cup of coffee and join me every Monday. I'm Lindsay Maestas, and this is the Living Easy Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Living Easy Podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking about motherhood, and I'm really excited for this three-part series. Basically, we're going to have part one, part two, part three on the podcast each Monday for the next three weeks, and these are three different topics regarding healthy and unhealthy motherhood. So I want to challenge you to listen to all three because there is real freedom in understanding the areas in which we're falling short in our motherhood. I pray that these conversations ease the burden on your hearts to remind you that the gospel changes everything in motherhood, including how you view your children and perceive your wins and losses. And you guys have got to forgive me. I don't know why, but I am like out of breath today. I walked up the stairs and my legs are very sore, but I don't know what it is. So if I sound out of breath, I promise I'm okay. (laughs) So as we go through this, the first two topics will cover the areas in which we may fall into a more unhealthy relationship with our children or where we have an unhealthy idea of how our motherhood should be lived out that isn't actually biblical or a calling that God has given to us. So in part two, you'll hear about asceticism or also known as a self-inflicted punishment or a sacrifice in motherhood that you are never called to experience. And then the third is what you'll find in part three, which is a healthy biblical mother-child relationship based upon God's word. So I know that Jesus has made every mom unique in her own way, and I want to be really clear about this, that this is not about your character or your personality traits, because I think that many of the unhealthy motherhood habits that we'll be discussing today can often be like justified or excused based on, well, Lindsay, that's just not how I do it, or that just isn't my personality type, which is why it's important for me to stick with biblical truth with everything that I share and to not focus this conversation upon personalities or character. So as with everything I share, this topic was not created to condemn you in the slightest. If you haven't yet listened to my episode, The Five Biggest Mistakes I've Made in Motherhood, please go and listen back to it. 
I do not come from a place of having it all together. My motherhood feels like a constant roller coaster of ups and downs, and I'll share a little bit about that along the way. But this comes solely from a heart of desiring to grow in sanctification in my motherhood and to lean into my motherhood in the way that God has intended for me to do so. And I want to help you guys do the same. So the ministry of motherhood is this continual, ever-changing process of growth day by day, moment by moment, right? None of us have actually achieved anything. And our goal really shouldn't be to reach this achievement because parenting was not created to reveal our strengths. It's actually the opposite. God ordained parenthood to reveal our weaknesses. Now, if you're a mom, you know (laughs) that that is absolutely true. You know that it is so incredibly difficult some days to feel like you have anything together. And there are some days where you feel absolutely wonderful and like it's going so well, but it just takes that one thing to knock you down a peg, right? And to remind you that you actually don't have this all figured out, especially as our kids get older and their hard becomes a different kind of hard. We have to adjust and morph and nobody gave us a strict guideline on how to do this, but we do have biblical truth and we have great resources in order to help us learn. So the first thing I want to talk about is how idolatry and seeking fulfillment from our children can vastly impact our motherhood negatively. And for those who don't know, idolatry is the worship of someone or something other than God as though it were God. Basically, it's making either a good thing or a bad thing a God thing. So let's begin. Number one, when mothering becomes idolatry, what does it actually mean to be a mother who idolizes her child? And why is it unhealthy? Now, this is a huge topic, you guys, because it is so hard to find that balance of loving our children with all of that we have. Like everything in me wants to protect my child and love my child. And I feel like my heart lives outside of my body now. And all of those things are very real. But we also cannot let that love become a God thing. So we'll dive into what that means. It is a good thing to love your child deeply, to minister to them, and to have your primary purpose in life be to raise godly children. But when we begin seeking validation from our children or longing for the approval of other parents, this is a big thing. Like when we want that praise from that mama over there or that lady at the soccer game, um, we sometimes then become idolizing more of what we are perceived as within our motherhood than what we are actually honoring God in. So if we want people to see that we have this smart, well-behaved, tidy, godly child then motherhood has gone from being this ministry where your heart's focus is to raise your child up in the way of the Lord to then becoming this idol of wanting to be seen as this great, wonderful mom. Now, this is a hard thing. And this is something that I have struggled with because especially with my first son, Sutton is a very, very intelligent child. And I know every mom says that but he truly is extremely ahead. Um, And Saxon, we always joke, I'm like, Saxon's going to be like my entertainer and he's going to be my performer. Um, he, He doesn't have that interest in school or academics like Sutton does. So I always saw that. And I always kind of praised myself internally for being like very intentional with flashcards and teaching and and all these things. But then Saxon comes along and I'm so humbled. (laughs) Right? Because I do very similar things with the flashcards and 
the crafts and activities, and he just did not have the same interest in it at all. And I realized, oh, it's not me. It's actually just my children and the way that they're wired and the way that God made them. And so it was humbling and it was good for me to have that and to see, you know, this isn't about how smart or tall or godly or loving or anything my child is because this is not about me. This motherhood is not intended to make other moms feel a certain way about me. We're all in this together. And so when you have that heart of, I want to appear a certain way as a mom, even if it's well-intentioned with desiring to be praised for how much you love your kids, you're still seeking man's praise rather than God's. Galatians 1.10 says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. The heart is not to win the approval of others. So an idol is ultimately anything that we love more than God. And I think this may even feel offensive to some mamas because motherhood does feel like our everything, right? It can consume who we are. It can make us forget that we are our own human beings. And we'll talk more about that when we get to asceticism. When we are wiping booties, cleaning boogers, making what feels like 15 meals a day and doing dishes that same amount, dishes are my arch nemesis, you guys. I despise them. Um, When we're wiping tears, kissing scrapes, it's our all in all, right? It is our day to day. We wake up thinking about it. We go to sleep thinking about it. And if you're anything like me, you lay down in bed and look at pictures of your kids and think about all the ways that you screwed up that day and how you need to be better. It is all consuming. And it can be something that's so central to our lives that if we didn't have it, our lives would feel devastated, right? Because we have become inherently mothers. That is our core. And it is a gift from God. And being a mom is a beautiful high calling and role, but it is not the highest calling. The highest calling is to honor God and to share the gospel, to make disciples and to love him above all things. So there's this lie in the Christian culture that being a mom or wife is our greatest purpose. And as the enemy does often, he uses those lies to confuse the way that we perceive the gift of being a mom. So while it is our greatest ministry, yes, it is our not our greatest calling. So to mother our children as if motherhood is our ultimate identity is to overstep God's design for a faithful woman. Look at the contrast of the life of Sarah compared to the life of Hannah in the Bible. So in 1 Samuel, we see a barren Hannah, right? She's not able to have babies and she's weeping in prayer and asking God desperately for a baby. She didn't demand a child. She didn't feel entitled to a baby simply because she was a woman. Though motherhood is a gift, it is not something that God promises to every woman, which I know is devastating. And we have multiple episodes on infertility and miscarriages on the Living Easy podcast if you want to listen back to some of those. But Hannah saw God first, right? She placed him in the highest position. She asked for a child and vowed to give that child back to God for the service of God. It was about him. It wasn't about her, her desires, her wants. And yet when we look at Sarah with Abraham, we see a woman who desperately longed for a baby for herself so much so that she went against God's word to do so. And she had her servant sleep with her husband in order to give her that baby. That is wrong, right? When we look at it from that perspective, we don't understand 
why somebody would do that. And then it turned extremely messy because when God finally gave her a baby, she demanded a second child. So do you see the difference in the heart posture between these two women? When we look at our motherhood, we should receive it for what it was created for, which is the calling in the context of living out our roles for the sake of the gospel and the eternal good for our children. I want you to remember that to the extent our womanhood is surrendered to Christ, our motherhood will be also. So the best way to sanctify our mothering is to have our womanhood crucified with Christ as well. So what this means is, Our womanhood, our feminism, our perception of who we should be as a woman, as a wife, as a mother, when we are crucified in that toward Christ, when we are no longer slaves to our sin or to the world's perception of us, when we are no longer slaves to who we believe we should be or who society says that we should be, and we are crucified, that slavery, the bondage to feeling this pressure of what we're supposed to be is crucified. And everything is laid at the foot of the cross. And for a woman centered on the cross of Christ, they will spend their lives wifing and mothering from the cross with a focus on eternity. And from the very beginning, God intimately tied motherhood to womanhood. Eve was the first woman, the first wife, and the first mother. Her identity, though, was being a person of God first and foremost. And it was that relationship with God that the devil targeted in Eden. He knew that by getting at who Eve was at her core, he would get everything else that she was as a woman, wife, and mother. And this is the same for the way that we live, right? When the enemy seeps into our lives and gets into the heart of what we do, gets into the heart of who we believe that we are, when he gets into our identity Everything else is tainted, flows into our motherhood, being a wife, being a friend even. When we start to question how we live is then tainted because the core of who we are is in question. But when the core of who we are, when that bondage to the world and to the pressures of the world, when that is diminished because we are then a slave to Christ and we fear God and we love God above all else, The rest flows outward. So what are some ways that we may idolize our children without even realizing it? And how is that affecting our core or how is our core affecting that? Let's walk through it. So number one, we idolize our children's behavior, their accomplishments, and their obedience because it reflects back on us. Number one, we idolize their behavior, their accomplishments, and their obedience because it reflects back on us. So this is elaborating a little bit on what we already talked about, but while there is nothing wrong with striving to do the best with our children, again, this is one of the most important ministries we are given, and God calls us throughout scripture to do all things with excellence, work hard for the glory of God because of the calling and the salvation that he's placed in your life. It is also wise for us to take a step back and remember that our purpose is not to be the best mom in the mom's group, okay? It isn't to be the one who has the cleanest home, the one who spends the most time teaching their children, the one who spends the most time on the floor playing. And while none of these things are bad within themselves, when they're placed on the pedestal to make much of ourselves or of our child to receive praise from man or woman rather than from God, they become unhealthy and ungodly and ultimately extremely confining and restricting of our freedom in Christ. Your child will disappoint you. 
They will embarrass you. They will make you a liar. I always tell all my friends that they're like, look, they're saying their ABCs or look, they're reading this book. And then as soon as you want to show someone, they just absolutely won't do it. (laughs) And I say, yep, our children make us liars because they don't want to do those things as a performance a lot of the time. And so there will be days where they make you feel like, oh, I don't have it all together and that's okay, but you don't want that to crumble you because you've placed such great importance on the parent that you've been or the child that you've created. And there will be days, you guys, where your children will make you feel so lowly that you'll feel like you've done nothing but fail them. And I'm sure you have already felt that. But grace, Jesus died on the cross for your motherhood. He is strong where you're weak and you haven't failed. If you're in a season kind of where I am right now with Saxon, my youngest, where you feel like I don't know what else to do. I don't know where else to turn. Saxon is really struggling with behavioral issues, um, just very adamantly disobedient, very disrespectful. And no matter what form of discipline we implement, it does not create any difference. (laughs) And no matter how much eye to eye contact, no matter how many one-on-one dates, no matter, you know, it's just not making a difference that we would hope to see. And I have to step back and say, Jesus died on the cross for Saxon. He died on the cross for me and he died on the cross for my motherhood. Even in the moments when I feel like I do not have it figured out, but we have not failed in the moments when we're weak. That is why we need a savior. That is why we have Jesus. We haven't done it all and we haven't failed. Our heart and our goal should be to be the mom who has set her sights on Christ above all with a desire to train her child up in the way that they should go, not the mom who does it all perfectly or for her own glory. And a lot of those nights, you guys, end in me on my knees in prayer and just saying, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And we have the freedom to say that. We have the freedom to call our mom friends and say, I am falling short. I cannot figure this out. Or just, I need somebody to talk to because I really am struggling. Those are the moments where we are able to show our weakness. We don't need to have that pride because we haven't built up this image of who we are as a mom. We have the ability to say, grace upon grace, Nobody has it all together and we need community. We need our savior and we need the hope that comes with heaven because nothing, including our motherhood is going to be perfect on this earth. Hey guys, I wanted to take a second to tell you about something that I truly believe can change your life for the better and a project that is near and dear to my heart. So in the past two years, the world really has turned upside down. But one silver lining that I've seen in so many people around me is that this time of chaos also brought a sense of clarity about who we want to be and what we want to do with our lives. Working from home became a norm that so many people appreciated as they spent more time with their families than ever before, found passion projects that they loved and created things that they had wanted to do for years. I know that now more than ever before, We are eager to live freely, aren't we? Away from the nine to five constrictive lifestyle and to instead enjoy the beauty that life truly has to offer. We want to work to live, not live to work. And Jesse and I realized the exact same thing, so much so that we actually changed everything. We packed up our home and moved across the country away from the only home we had ever known for over 30 years. And why did we do it? for a real quality of life. 
We were done with the hustle culture that had consumed us for so long and we wanted to slow down, but we knew that nobody would do it for us. So we had to do it for ourselves. So I dug into social media and all that I had learned over the years about serving my audience well, while also having the ability to make a real profit. Fast forward to one year after launching my first course, and because of my knowledge of social media and online courses, Jesse was able to quit his very demanding job that caused a strain on our family while I replaced his full-time salary. He now stays home with me and the boys while I work for a few days a week in just a couple of hours a day. I've also been able to hire a full team of employees in just one year. So let me back up a little bit to where it all started. Nearly seven years ago, I started a blog from my couch holding a newborn and covered in spit up. It was not glamorous, but I wanted to talk about the things that I loved. The only problem was that no matter how active I was on social media, likes and follows didn't pay the bills. So here's where things changed. I began following a girl on Instagram who created online courses. She made $15,000 in one night during her first launch and I was fascinated by her success. Now, I'll be honest, I definitely didn't think that that could happen to me, and I really, really doubted my ability, so much so that it took me three years to create The Wife Project. But I knew at one point, if I didn't at least try, I would never succeed. So after much time, energy, and some tears, I launched my first course. And the next morning, I burst into tears when I saw that I had tripled in one night what my inspiration, that girl, had profited for her own launch. And in 2020, less than one year after creating my course, I replaced Jesse's salary. I've also had the ability to create multiple streams of income by all of the knowledge that I have in Pinterest and Instagram and TikTok and all of those avenues that have built multiple streams for us to where we don't have to worry where the money is coming from anymore. I'm here to tell you that I am not special by any means. And if I can do this, anyone can do it. I also wanna tell you that it definitely is not too late for you to start, especially with Reels and TikTok changing the game. There has never been a time where you could get your business or your brand or your face in front of millions of people within hours, but now we can. And you have something we're sharing and teaching, even if you don't feel like an expert. So what's the point, Lindsay? I have created two academies that are jam-packed with secrets, tips, and tricks that I've learned over the past six years. There's no gatekeeping here. I am showing you every detail of what I've done to create a multiple six-figure income that gave us an entirely new life. Who doesn't want more time to spend with their families, to work while vacationing on the beach, and to go to brunch whenever they please? It is possible. In the Social Media Marketing Academy, becoming a confident and profitable creator, I am teaching everything from Pinterest to blogging to Instagram Reels and TikTok to SEO to passive income streams and collaborating with brands. You'll have the ins and outs of my secrets along with tons of bonuses and worksheets that help you to put what you learn into action right away. This includes goal setting worksheets with detailed instruction, time batching plans to keep you from procrastinating, 30 Instagram stories ideas to use each month, my top business book recommendations, customizable branding templates, and customizable media kits, over 15 websites that will get you in the door with brand collaborations immediately, and so much more. 
And in my second course, the Online Course Creation Academy, I will teach you how to create and successfully launch a course in less than 30 days. So if you are a teacher, a hairstylist, a software specialist, a musician, a mama who makes cute lunches or knows healthy recipes, a Christian who loves teaching God's word, or somebody who is passionate about anything that they've been doing for a few years, you should be making at least $10,000 a month by teaching about what you love. You are good at something that someone else is not good at, and they want to learn from you. And even if you don't feel like they do, or if you feel like you're not an expert, you have to know that online course industry is a $100 billion industry that is waiting for you to jump in. In the Online Course Creation Academy, I will teach you step-by-step how to find your niche, your target market, how to write your course, how to determine your purpose and price out your course. I'll teach you how to revenue plan and record and edit that course and so much more. This comes with over 25 pages of worksheets that help you to put into action exactly what you're learning. And guess what? Your course will be written and ready to launch by the time you have finished my academy. So what are you waiting for? As always, nothing changes if nothing changes. So I want you to show up and choose to move forward with that dream or that passion that you've always had because nobody else will do it for you. I am also offering a bundle of both courses at a very low price, so don't miss out. If you want to learn how to create and launch a course and how to create passive income streams through social media and market well, this bundle is for you. So check it out, learn all about it. And if you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. Now let's get back to our episode. Okay, another way that we can idolize our children, number two, we place them above our marriage and above our relationship with Jesus. Now, this is a big one, and this is one that causes a little friction in conversations that I have had and even on videos that I have posted. I've said this before, and I will continue to say it. A healthy marriage is one of the greatest gifts that you can ever give to your children. I'm going to say it again. A healthy marriage is one of the greatest gifts that you can ever give to your children. I cannot even begin to count you guys how many times I've read comments on social media from moms who say that their children come before their husbands. And while this is a common belief system in our world, we as Christians are called to be countercultural. God has designed marriage to come above the ministry of motherhood. It may feel backwards to you and you may feel like you wouldn't even know how to begin in shifting that perspective but the health of a relationship will pour out onto your children, making a generational impact. And we see this in Genesis 2, 24, when it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is showing that the relationship between this husband and wife is more important and is placed in a higher priority than the relationship between the husband and the father and the mother that he had previously. He is to leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. This is also known as leave and cleave. And if you are married and you haven't left your father and mother in a way that your wife is before your her mother-in-law or your wife is before her father-in-law, then that is not the dynamic God has created. God says your wife 
is the ultimate priority. Your husband is the ultimate priority above that role of a child or of a mother and a father. And so I just want to share, you know, the impact that this has on a relationship. I come from a divorced home and there is no contentment or peace in a divorced family. Now there are a lot of families who co-parent and they do it well. And I'm so incredibly grateful for that, but there is still brokenness, right? The family unit is not together. And that begins if the husband and the wife are not placing their marriage as a priority. And I talk a lot about this on the wife project from roommates to soulmates. Um, You can click the link in my show notes or go on my Instagram for the wife project. It is open and available. But this is something that is so essential to your parenthood because the way that you communicate with your husband or your wife is going to pour out onto the way that your children will communicate with their friends, with their spouses, with their bosses, because they're watching that relationship. The way that you show and display that intimacy with your spouse is how your child will learn to display that intimacy with their spouse. So the health of a relationship that you want for your child is the health that you need to display in your home. The way that you argue, you know, Jesse and I will sometimes talk to one another in a heated tone and we'll raise our voices a little bit. We, we're not yellers. We're more like we separate from each other, which sometimes can also be detrimental. But we have learned, you know, that we can discuss and we'll discuss in front of our kids, even if we disagree with one another. And they'll say, guys, don't fight. And we'll say, no. It's okay. We're not fighting. We're not yelling at each other. We're not calling names. We're not cussing. We are having a discussion. And while you can sense that maybe we're a little bit heated and in disagreement, we are communicating with one another about that topic to find a solution. The ultimate goal is to find a solution. And we let our boys hear us do that because we think it's so important for them to see what it means to disagree in a healthy manner, to disagree in a way that isn't negative or harsh or mean or cruel, but is in a way that is productive and with the goal of finding a solution and honoring God in that. So that is what your children will see. And that relationship has a domino effect. And every relationship that we have is a domino effect. So your healthy relationship with Jesus allows you to love your spouse in the way that God has called you to. And then that relationship with Jesus, along with the respect and love you have within your marriage, then allows you to train up your children and minister to them by teaching them how to discern biblical truth from the, for themselves and also how to love people in the way that you are. And not that you're going to do this perfectly, but you'll also teach them repentance and sanctification as you walk along and openly communicate your failures and flaws. So you're then teaching them and displaying to them what that healthy relationship looks like, and then showing them how to discern biblical truth from worldly beliefs. You're teaching them to sift through the lies of the enemy and to replace them with truth and to live out their faith rather than simply being a Sunday Christian, because the way that you live within your relationship with God, the way that you live with your spouse, the way that you prioritize your relationship with God and display that to your children, the way that you prioritize your relationship with your spouse, all of it flows down into what it means to live a godly life, not one for people's praise, but one to honor the Lord with a kingdom perspective. Number three, the third way we can idolize our children is to seek for them to fulfill us. This is most common when a wife or husband are not satisfied with one another. So they then seek for their children to fulfill that hole in their heart. 
Now, if you idolize your children, they are your everything, right? And this is also the main cause of unhealthy mother-in-law or father-in-law relationships because this begins by placing our children above everything else. And then when our child is set to go off to leave and cleave, we do not want to let them go. Y'all know how difficult those mother-in-law relationships can be. I am very lucky to have a wonderful one, but it is one of the most common topics that I get in my DMs. So it is now our time to prepare for what it means to be a healthy mother-in-law. We have to start now. And the way that we can do that is to not find our satisfaction in our children. And if we are to repent of that, because our satisfaction should be found in Jesus. And so your healthy marriage is now the greatest gift you could give to your children because you are saying, okay, this is my all in all. This is going to last when my children leave, when they go out those doors and they find a spouse, I cannot find my worth and my hope in them. I cannot place my joy in them or let them dictate the way that I enjoy my life or feel satisfied. That is not your children's responsibility to bear. So do you separate yourself from your children to be with your husband? Because they will leave one day. They will leave one day. And we idolize our children because we're seeking something from them rather than seeking to raise them up. We long for them to fulfill us, but they're going to disappoint you. They're going to leave. They're going to find someone. And while that relationship may be stronger than ever for the rest of your life, which is incredible, that pressure is not theirs to bear. They are not meant to be your best friend. They are not meant to be that person that satisfies and fills the hole in your heart. They cannot carry that pressure. Okay. And even as you grow older and want to create that, you know, friend relationship with your child, as much as it might be possible, there will always be that barrier of being their mother. And you have to live in that mother role and know that they are called to leave and cleave and to separate from you in that way. So our joy and fulfillment have to come from Jesus. So start that now. Invest in that relationship now with God. If you find that your all in all is in your children, that your purpose is in your children, step back and reevaluate because your purpose should not be in your children or in your motherhood. That is a role. Your purpose is in who Christ created you to be. That role of motherhood is essential and important and good, but it is not your all in all. I want to encourage you to believe that God is strong enough to save your children on his own, no matter how you or how they fail. They will disappoint you. They will disappoint you. Maybe when they get married, they will disappoint you in teenage years. They often probably disappoint you now but it is not your job to save or hound or embrace your children in such a way that there is a pressure on their shoulders. Your job is to trust God, to pray to God, to know that he cares more about your children than you do and to give them up to him in that way. So there is a book called Idols of a Mother's Heart by Christina Fox. She takes those heavy topics and distills them in a way that a tired mama brain can understand. um, And that might be a really great place to start. Next is another way that we idolize our children, and that is idolizing their behavior and their obedience. Elise Fitzpatrick has this book called Give Them Grace. It is a phenomenal book. I recommend it to everyone. Um, And I'm going to quote something that she says in this book that was really impactful for me. She says, everything that isn't gospel is law. Let us say it again. 
Everything that isn't gospel is law. Every way we try to make our kids good that isn't rooted in the good news of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ is damnable, crushing, despair-breeding, Pharisee-producing law. Okay, and outside of this quote, we're again talking about obedience and rules ultimately. We won't get the results that we want from the law. We will get either shallow self-righteousness from our children or blazing rebellion or both, frequently from the same kid on the same day. We will get moralistic kids who are cold and hypocritical and who look down on others or you'll get teens who are rebellious and self-indulgent and who can't wait to get out of the house. We have to remember that in the life of our unregenerate children, the law is given for one reason only, to crush their self-confidence and drive them to Christ. So most of us are painfully aware that we are not perfect parents. We're also deeply grieved that we don't have perfect kids. But the remedy to our mutual imperfections isn't more law. Even if it seems to produce tidy or polite children, Christian children and their parents do not need to learn to be nice. She goes on to say, they need death and resurrection and a savior who has gone before them as a faithful high priest who was a child himself and who lived and died perfectly in their place. They need a savior who extends the offer of complete forgiveness, total righteousness, and indissoluble adoption to all who will believe. This is the message we need. We do not need more law. We need the gospel of grace and the grace of the gospel. Children cannot use the law any more than we can because they will respond to it the same way we do. They will ignore it or bend it or obey it outwardly for selfish purposes. But this one thing is certain. They will not obey it from the heart because they can't. That is why Jesus had to die. Your desire for behavior and obedience for your children and idolizing that, whether it is for other people's approval or whether it is for your own sanity or whether it is just for the sake of feeling like you have it all together and your family has it all together, will only lead, as Elise said, to damnable, crushing, despair-breeding, Pharisee-producing law. This is, it's soul-sucking, you guys, to have children whose sole focus is to be nice and good and right all the time. And that is something I will be fully honest and say is really hard for me. I want my kids to be kind, empathetic, smart, loving, wonderful, good, obedient children. I want to go to a restaurant and have them sit still for the sake of sitting still. And while these are not bad things to have rules and structure within your home, this is not a bad thing. Let me be clear. It becomes a bad thing when our sole focus and our heart purpose is to have obedient, good children without giving them reason for that. And some of this might be an example of don't sleep around just because you're not supposed to sleep around. Don't do drugs because you don't do drugs. No, you don't sleep around because God has created sex as a gift and he has that purpose for a man and a woman who are together and married in love. They're committed to one another. They have a covenant under Christ. There's nowhere that they go. They are together and in one and it is the most beautiful gift within the confines of marriage. So when you do it outside of marriage, it becomes messy. It breeds sin. It brings consequences like pregnancy or STDs. It also can breed discontentment within the relationship because there is an expectation on physical intimacy. There are so many things, the sin and the weightiness of that. It comes from not doing things in the realm of what God's plan is. But ultimately, 
It is for the sake of the gospel that we are created for marriage so that in that marriage and some created for singleness, but those created for marriage, that that sexual intimacy is intended to bond us into one in a way that we then can minister to others of the goodness of God within our marriages and ultimately point back to him. And it's the same with our children. We point back to the goodness of God, not the law. The moralistic perspective, the moralistic kids that you do this just because I say to do this is only going to lead back to rebelliousness or self-indulgence, one or the other. They will become entitled in their goodness or they will become rebellious of that goodness. And we don't want either. We want children who are broken before the cross, who are broken of their sin, who desire to honor God and love him above all else, not to honor their parents just for the sake of honoring their parents. It is crushing and it will not bring freedom within your home or your life. So these are some of the ways that idolatry can lead to a lack of freedom. And I know that this is a lot and it can be kind of heavy, but I want to just encourage you that this is a beautiful place to begin if you're not already doing these things, if you're not already sharing the gospel in your home and with your children, if you're not already repenting to your children, to your husband regularly to show that God is working actively within your heart, then this is a great place to start. If you've laid down these boundaries and laws and rules that don't have an ultimate purpose, it's okay to step back and say, okay, we can do this a little bit differently. God, speak into my life. Let the Holy Spirit pour in my heart so that I can do this in a way that honors you and doesn't create this unhealthy, pharisaical view of God. Um, Lord, help me to, to walk faithfully as a wife in a way that really healthfully shows this communication, this intimacy, this love, this passion, this um, honesty within my marriage that my children can then take with them. So all of it ultimately comes back to the cross that Jesus died on the cross and came back to life for the sake of our sins and the glory of the father so that we can live in freedom, not in rules and in bondage to him and not in the expectation that we need to have it all together as mamas. He has never called you to perfection as a mom. He has never called you to have a full understanding of what it takes. He has solely called you to rely upon him, to get on your knees, to lift up in prayer, and to let go of the control that you have over your children or the desire to control your children, their salvation, their lives, their choices, and to instead lift them up to the God who loves them far more than you could ever love them. So I close this out and just say, I love you guys. I know it's a lot. Again, I know that it can feel, it feels heavy to me as I share it because there's so much reeling in my mind of the things I want to change and grow in, but that is grace upon grace, right? God's grace is greater than our sin. God's grace is greater than our confusion. God's grace is greater than our failures and faults. And that alone is enough to bring freedom and a weightlessness to our lives. So in next week's episode, I'm going to be talking about asceticism, which is ultimately kind of a sacrifice, a self-sacrifice that God never called us to within our motherhood. And then the third session will be what healthy biblical motherhood looks like. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please do take a minute to share on your stories, tag me in them, let me know what you thought, maybe share a quote or a screen recording of the best part of the episode that really triggered you or encouraged you or challenged you. And just let me know. I love your guys' feedback. It means so much. 
Also, if you haven't had a second to rate and review the podcast on iTunes, I read those every single day and I love hearing your feedback. I love to hear topic ideas, your perspective on the things that I'm sharing, whether good or bad. I just want to hear from y'all and always feel free to send DM topics so that I can talk about the things that you guys want to hear. So I am here. I am so thankful to be here. I'm so thankful to be able to talk about these things that I know are a lot and just know I'm riding the waves with you guys. And I just, I believe in growth. I so, but that's why I do what I do. Nothing changes if nothing changes. I believe that we can step away from these things, not just hearing them, but doing, right? The Bible says, do not just be hearers of the word only, but doers. I want you guys to take what you learn and put it into action. Start asking God to weed out the areas that may be law-based or rule-based or or empty or pressure-building. Ask him to weed those areas out and fill them with the fruits of the spirit so that you can pour that back out onto your children. I love you guys and I'll talk to you next Monday.